Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast, an extension of doodlekisses.com. I'm your host, Adina Pearson. Doodlekisses.com is the social network for Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners, wannabe owners, and the doodle curious. The goal of this podcast is to provide education, entertainment, and connect with our Doodle Kisses members on the topic of Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, and dogs in general. Today we're going to be talking about kids and dogs. My guest is Rachel Richards, who is a groomer and a trainer. She's got two young boys, three American Pit Bull Terriers, and a six-month-old Irish Setter. She competes with all of her dogs and just recently put a rally novice title on her six-month-old and got first place. Six months! On an Irish setter of all things, most of us are just hitting the, whoa, my dog is a teenager and out of control. What happened? He used to listen so well stage. Not only did her Irish setter get titled, but he got first place and was the youngest dog in the whole event and the only one under one year of age. So Rachel has skills. I've said it before, but I strongly believe in looking for a trainer who has actually put titles on their own dogs. That proves that they are able to reach a measurable standard of training, that someone else can look upon their training and be able to check off objective markers that their dog is trained. And that's really cool. Rachel and I spend our time discussing having dogs and kids at the same time, how to manage both, how to train your dog and keep things from getting chaotic and all that good stuff. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Rachel. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming to the Doodle Kisses podcast. No problem. I was looking at your profile and I'm like, we're total opposites. You're an army vet. I'm a wimp. You have like pit bulls. I'm scared of them. Uh, (laughs) You have to meet mine. (laughs) Like, I, I don't dislike them. I just never know. Like, I don't know pit bulls personally. So any pit bull I see out, I'm like, you could be a great dog. You could be a scary dog. I have no idea. That goes for any dog. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But battle breeds and, you know, breeds that are powerful. I am just a little more wary of leery. I understand. But I I would trust you and yours. (laughs) It always baffles me when my dogs are in the backyard. And friends come over and they just walk right in the backyard. My dogs are sitting there barking at them. And they're like, hey, guys. And I'm like, I can't believe you just walked in the backyard. And they're standing there barking at you like, nah, I'm so glad they don't bite. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> do you train for a living right now? Um, I do it as a side. Okay. So I work a full-time job. I raise my kids and I do dog training on the side with some grooming. Oh, awesome. Do you groom doodles? I do. I have several doodle clients. I Those are always the interesting stories that I hear about <laughs> in terms of like in doodle groups, there's always uh, somebody who's like, oh, this haircut is terrible. Look what the groomer did. And this is the first time they're, they've taken their puppy and they really have no idea what they're even wanting, but they don't like that the dog was blow dried because it looks poofy. Like pretty much anything you do to a doodle, someone's going to say, you poodled my dog. 
Um, so there's no, <laughs> there's no winning. Um, but also because there's so many different coat types in doodles and someone Very might different. see a groomed doodle and like, wow, I like that, but they have the super curly dog and it's not going to look shaggy no Anything matter like that, whether right. they're blow dried or not and vice versa. Not, not ever thinking about like the length of the hair on your dog. Like I, I always would like try to guesstimate you know, the length and say, oh, my dog's three inches now. I want it an inch and a half or I want it down like to three quarters. And, and that's something you can communicate with a groomer, but just saying, give it a summer cut can mean so many things to so many people. Yes. And most groomers will probably take it and shave it because I find that most doodle owners and, and even poodles, I have a couple poodles, poodle owners, they just don't comb the dog's hair out properly and so there are so many mats and to put that dog through having to sit there we all know what it's like we have hair ourselves like yeah I remember growing up my mom brushing my hair not the most comfortable thing when I didn't do it on my own regularly <laughs> right and your hair and my hair is like one fifteenth of the amount of hair on a dog right. exactly so you know to put the dog through that and be like I'm going to sit here and pick all these mats out it's horrible for the dog and it makes for a very long session, which is hard in general. Yeah. You know, I've had dogs on the table for four hours trying to brush them out. Yeah. That sounds miserable for both parties. It um, is. I really wanted to keep my standard poodle longer, but he mm -hmm. pees on his front legs often enough that it's just ridiculous. So right. plus it's so much easier because I have less to comb and brush and do anything. Yes. Else. Yes, I've got a poodle in for training right now, and she's got him in an awesome short coat. Like, like I'm talking, like we use a um, what are we using? We're using a seven on him. Wow. Blade. Yes, just super short, and then you know shave his face down with a ten, and she she likes his ears shaved down with a ten, and then he just has a little bit of a poof, which in his poof is maybe maybe like an inch and a quarter, you know, on top at top knot. So um, it's it's so awesome to work with. <laughs> like I can, like, I can touch you all over. This is easy. You're super easy to maintain while you're here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's much nicer as much as I and love that on his full too. coat. Yeah. And Milo, my poodle is lifting now more so that helps some, but not always. He might still move in the wrong direction as he uh -huh. starts. And yeah. I, if I knew that <laughs> I may not have gotten a poodle. <laughs> they're, it's just they're built so square that the distance from their back end to their front legs is just right <laughs> well and especially if they don't squat you know what I mean like some dogs so like all of my males I have three male dogs um and all the boarders that come into me that are male I don't allow them to go up and lift their legs on things so none of my male dogs my oldest being three lift their leg they all mm -hmm. squat and so if they squat it's okay. But like this poodle I have in now, he doesn't really squat. He just stands there and pees. And I'm like, just lower your bum a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's too exciting. I have other things I'm paying attention to. How did you get your dogs to not lift their legs? Because I was actually hoping for a leg lift to help the lack of low squatting issue. So a, a lot of people like the leg lift. I think for that reason, it's just, you know, it's easier, but I have found that especially like with borders, male dogs tend to, you know, they, they'll mark, right? So they pee and squirt like it's, oh, let me squirt here. Let me squirt there. Let me mm -hmm. squirt there. And my theory is 
we pee before we go on walks, not we go on walks to pee. Mm-hmm. And so when I have a dog in that insists on lifting a leg and I'm like, no, you need to empty your bladder because I'm not going to have you squirt once and take you in. And then you're going to mess the crate or the kennel because you didn't get it all out. Mm-hmm. I want an empty bladder before we go and do things. Mm-hmm. And so with my males, I just never allowed it. And so when people come over and because I don't allow my borders either to lift, there's nothing, you know, there's no reason for my dogs to want to lift right? Because it's not like everything in my yard is marked. And we have a big piece of property and we're on five and a half acres. Um, you know, so not everything is marked. So there's no reason for them to go over and then lift their leg to something where another dog has marked. When we go out in public, I'll allow them to smell, you know, and they get their sniff in and I'm like, okay, but now we need to go potty. And we walk through a plain piece of grass and I'm like, that's where you go potty. And they all, they all potty on command. You know, just they go potty and they squat and they do their business and then they empty their bladder. So I don't have to worry about, you know, taking them to Petco and having my dog with the leg to um, shelving, which you see all the time, mm-hmm. because he's like, oh, it's something marked there. I need to mark there too. My dogs just don't mark. We just don't mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. And did you do that mostly by prevention in terms of like not letting them pee next to something? Or was that done mostly Correct. by corrections to if they start to lift, you move them away? Just not letting them... Um, pee up against things and so like mm-hmm. when I have a male in like this this poodle I have right now he wants to lift his leg so I'll let him like walk towards the wall and when he starts to lift I just pull him off balance so he straightens back out and then pees on the ground and not on my wall mm-hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> nice. and he's yeah. I mean he's been here for four weeks now so he gets it like he's like oh yeah okay we have to pee like normal you know <laughs> mm-hmm. so he's getting the hang of it and he's learning you know, when I say go potty, what that means. And, you know, he was never really, he was just always let out into a yard. So there was yeah. no real, you know, um, training aspect to the potty training. He would just be let out and he does this business. Whereas, you know, when we're going places, like I'm headed out to Ohio tomorrow, I'll leave in the morning to go to Ohio for a weight pool competition. And he's going to travel with me. And it's like, when we get out, we need to go to the bathroom. Everybody needs to know what go potty means do your business and get back in the car because it's a long drive, you know? Yeah. Very cool that you are able to do that. I, I spent quite a bit of time using keywords while my puppies were going potty, but only some of it stuck. Some dogs, you could say it while they're going to associate that word. And then for mm-hmm. some reason it never stuck. So I could go out there on leash and say the potty word and they just don't until they feel like it. <laughs> And I don't know if there's what that means. I'm not a trainer, so I probably made mistakes in that area. So, so some of that could just be um, like a little bit of control, right? So it's just you go out, you say go potty. If they stand there and stare at you like what? Then you just go right back in and put them away, right? And be like, okay, fine. You don't go now. I'll give you 30 minutes and we'll see if you need to go again, you know, and then take them back out and do it again until they start doing on command. And you go, oh, and she says go potty. I better go because otherwise mm-hmm. I'm going back into my crate, you know? So you just need to start making those associations and, and a lot of it's patterning too, right? So mm-hmm. um, my dogs don't get a free flow of water. I give them their water and their food. And unless they were outside on a hot day or something like that, and I put a water bowl outside for them while they're playing, then they can have water then, or if they come in, they're panting heavily, I'll give them a little bit of water to wet their tongue. 
So some of it's patterning. So of course, when they eat, they take in a lot of water while they're eating. So I know they're going to have to go pee. So if you free water your dog, then, you know, you hear them, you're like, oh, they just drank a whole bunch of water. Maybe I should let them go, go out. You know, so finding those patterns and saying, when do you need to go pee? And not just taking them out thinking, well, try, right? We said to kids, well, try, <laughs> try <laughs> before we get in the car. <laughs> totally. I free water, um, but I'm very aware of when they're drinking a lot, you know, when mm. they've been crated for a while, then they have to lap up for half an hour. I'm very aware of that and think like in the next half hour to an hour, they're going to need to go. <laughs> right. And Yeah. So I think that's the key and for listeners to think about is potty training involves training. It's not just like send your dog outside and assume that they've done what they need to do where they need to do it and that everything will work out. Potty training involves like the human patterning, like you said, being aware of when eating and and drinking happens, taking the dog out on leash and, and teaching a cue word. And, you know, making a decision about where potty is going right. to happen. Right. And then rewarding them when they do go. Right. Yes. So, you know, you say go potty, go potty, go potty. Like I use go potty and go poopy. So my dogs know two different commands and they know the difference. So when I say go potty, it's go pee. When I say go poopy, obviously it's, you know, go poop. Um, but once they're done, you know, they do pee. I'm like, oh, good potty, good potty. So I start to associate the word good, which they know is a positive with the word, the command, whatever it's going to be. And so it helps bring it a little bit more into perspective. And you're continuing the aspect of using that word in association with the action, even though it's, it's immediately following. So you kind of give them yeah. like a little bit of a party afterward. Yay, good potty, good potty. You know, and then they, it just makes for, I have found it makes a good association. And I've raised a bunch of puppies, both through fostering and, and my own personal dog. I love puppies. I'm one of those that's like, yes, let me potty train a dog. <laughs> Yes, I'm that part it. of my brain is organized enough that I think I, I do a good job there too. I'm also really paranoid, like we're going to go out often and we're not going to have accidents in the house. My words right. are be quick for pee and go potty. I end up singing like a little song, go potty, go potty, go potty. That's how it turns into. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Rachel. So this makes me think of like, kids and dogs, our topic for today, because potty training is so involved and involves you going out multiple times and like a lot of effort. How do you do that when you have kids too? Because your kids are little, they're not like, you know, 15. How old are your kids? I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. And how do you manage that? Like that frequency of going out and getting the job done when it's needed with a puppy or a young dog? So, so I, I have a puppy in the house right now. We have a six month old Irish setter. So yes, I have pit bulls, but I have an Irish setter as well. And um, of course we got them in February, which is, you know, most people <laughs> cringe at that because I live in Maryland. It's cold. Oh yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to potty train a puppy in February. <laughs> um, so I try to work with my kids to a degree and say, Hey, when, you know, you just watched him eat his food, he needs to go outside immediately, you know, especially with such a young puppy. He needs to go outside immediately after that. You hear him whine at all, just take him outside. You know, that way if I'm not in the vicinity, you know, or I'm in the middle of something, because again, I work a full-time job, 
um, I'm teleworking, which is convenient, but sometimes I'm on a meeting, you know, and mm-hmm. I have to mute and be like, guys, take the dog out. I hear them whining. So they will do that for the kids. Will they do will. That in your so house. it's really, mm-hmm. even my five-year-old, you know, so to me, it's important that even if the kids don't necessarily know when they need to go out, that they know how to take the dog out, right? They know how to put the leash on, how to walk the dog to wherever it is that you want the dog to go. Um, if you're crating your dog, I always recommend crating in a very convenient place that's close to your door, whichever door it is, you're going, whether it's a front door, back door, wherever you want your dog to go out. Um, so that way it's not a long trip from, you know, that crating area, wherever they are eating to get outside and that everything is conveniently located for your children. They know where your leash hangs. Um, if you lock your door, they know how to unlock your door, you know, those kinds of things. So I try to get them involved in at least in understanding, um, you know, that, hey, the puppy, the puppy needs to go out more frequently. It's not like the older dog. You know, when you hear him whining, go, if I say, go get the puppy out, you better move fast. Go get the puppy out because we're going to have an accident to clean up if we don't. So I try to involve them in those things. And, and they're learning basic leash skills while doing that then, you know, especially while the dog is small and more handleable for a child. Mm-hmm. And speaking of, you know, handling, a lot of um, some trainers say, get the whole family involved, bring the kids to obedience classes so they can learn how to do that too. And I'm wondering what your thoughts on that, getting the kids involved in training, the whole family kind of doing different things at different times or practicing versus parents kind of taking over training the dog and then having a dog that's trained while, you know, maybe teaching kids a few things here and there. So I love that my kids want to be involved and you need to find age appropriate things for them to do. So like my nine-year-old obviously is better at taking the dog out um, when I need the dog to go out. My five-year-old is very good at helping with feeding. You know, he knows exactly what every dog gets. He knows what supplements each dog gets. Like I actually, um, I went away for one weekend and I messaged my husband or I got him very late at night. And um, I said, did you feed the dogs? And he said, no, if I fed the dog, Flynn would have had to be the one to feed the dog because the five-year-old knows better how to feed the dogs than my husband does. <laughs> um, you know, so there are aspects, right? So like, if you're going to take your puppy to a training class, leave your children at home. Or if you have an older child, take that one older child. Only because the, you know, puppies are not the most focused. We all know this, right? They're just like children. They have a very short attention span. So if you take multiple young children, or even just one young child who doesn't know how to sit well. My five-year-old does not sit well. Um, he's not good at being quiet. He's not only a distraction for my puppy that's trying to learn and me, but it's all the other dogs that are in the class as well, right? So it's not conducive to the learning environment. You're already taking your puppy to a very distracting location and trying to teach them something new and ask them to focus with a lot of brand new distractions that are very exciting. And then to add the energy of a child can lead to disaster and that nobody learns and everybody becomes frustrated. And we don't want to be frustrated because we want our dog to learn. So my recommendation is if you have young children, train the puppy yourself. But then once the dog understands, you know, you're, you're consistently getting a sit 80 to 90% of the time when you say sit, then you have your child come in and then you would reinforce when the dog doesn't listen because the child's voice doesn't sound anything like ours. It's very high pitched to that dog, which is a very playful sound to the puppy and something to keep in mind. 
their inflection is not the same. You know, when I tell my dog sit, I'm like sit. And my little kid might be like sit, you know, so the inflection is very different. And the dog doesn't always make those connections, especially a young dog who's still in the process of learning. Um, over time, they'll figure it out and they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's just how that one says it. And the more people you expose your dog to with saying the commands, the more likely he'll start to make those little connections, you know, that, oh, well, it might be said different ways by different people, but it still means the same thing in the end. So what I do is I, I make sure that the dog understands the concept before I introduce my child to working and practicing with the dog on those concepts. So yes, I do the vast majority of the dog's training, but then, you know, I can turn around and, you know, leading up to a competition, my, both of my children compete with our dogs. So oh, leading up so to cool. a competition, it is. So, you know, we lead up to a competition and I can hand that dog over and be like, okay, he knows these things. And then walk my child through how to ask for each of those things, you know, how to handle the leash. And then that kid, you know, a week later can walk into the ring and compete with that dog. So it comes down to age appropriateness um, for the child and time, you know, time spent. I mean, everything's time, right? It's, <laughs> it's just part of life that we have to spend a little bit of time. But if I do my homework really well and really work with that dog and then spend that little bit of time. And, and when you transfer the dog to the, to the child, it usually doesn't take as much effort especially because if that child is actively doing things, you know, oh, you're going to give the dog a cookie. Well, tell them to sit, right? Most mm -hmm. dogs sit anyways because they're looking right. up at that cookie, <laughs> right? So it's just natural for their bum to go down. So now we're associating the child say on the word with them automatically naturally sitting and then giving a cookie as a reward. So there are little ways that you can have those kids participate and do things without actively training the dog, you know, so I do the training, they do a lot more of the practice work to make sure that we keep our manners in the house with the kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I don't think that everybody's going to be able to train at the same time and get the same results. It doesn't seem to make sense that a parent does the training and then helps that child to kind of figure out how to mm -hmm. get similar results. Right. <laughs> but the dog still might listen best to the main trainer because that's who they built that relationship with and, you know, expectations with. And, and that's true. And that's another reason why I think it's helpful to have the child participate in other aspects of the dog's life. So helping with feeding, you know, all my dogs place while we set up their food dishes and, and run the line for feeding everybody. You know, so my, my five-year-old is the one who walks up to each dog and goes, you know, carry place, group place and tell them and enforce it, right? So I will tell them, you know, if they don't do it, you walk in there and you enforce it, you know, lead them up to their bed and show them. So that way they understand what place means when you say it, you know, when they back off, he's, he's, he cracks me up. So I give like a, um, like a throat sound. I have horses too, you know, um, so we kind of give this like throat sound is good when our, when things are wrong and it's, it comes from the horses. We've always used it with the horses. So I use it with the dogs and sometimes I use it with the kids. <laughs> you know, <but laughs> he has learned, my five-year-old has learned that when the dog steps off his place, he's very quick to go, ah, and he, oh, he's like place, you know, and they all, they back up and they do their thing. So they're learning to respect him, right? Because he's the one who's now feeding, not me. So he's building a relationship by doing other aspects of their care, even if it's not just the training. 
He's saying he seems like he's very interested in working with the dogs. Like it's not just this terrible chore. <laughs> right. My five-year-old loves working with the dogs. My nine-year-old loves competing, but he doesn't want to have to do the work before uh-huh. that. <laughs> I keep hoping my kids will be interested. Mine are nine and 11 and they like to play with him. And that's about it with the puppy. He's a year now. So still a puppy, but growing. To right. an adult. So they love him. They adore him. They're like, mom, thank you so much for this, for Milo, but they don't really want to do a whole lot. <laughs> okay. So still on this training part, one, one question that comes up a lot or parents often ask is, you know, it's so busy being a parent. We've got to juggle kids and work and all this stuff. How do you find time to squeeze in training? Is it as simple as some trainers say like five minutes here, five minutes there and practice this thing here and there? Or is it a little bit more complicated or involved in that in your opinion? So in my opinion, when you are teaching a new concept, it's a little more involved than five minutes. It would be awesome if we could teach our dogs in five minutes. But if that was the case, everybody would have amazingly trained dogs, right? So teaching a new concept to a dog is like like teaching a child how to read. It, it just doesn't happen fast, right? So I will spend, if I'm teaching a dog how to sit, say, I'll spend maybe 15 to 20 minutes, depending on the age of the dog, each day for multiple days teaching the sick man and saying, this is what this word means and showing them what it means and then rewarding them for that. So once that concept is set in, I can then practice, right, in very short sessions. And some people will say, oh, you practice for five minutes a day. And, and you might. I don't, I don't like to do that. I incorporate um, my practice sessions into my daily thing. So we sit to go out the door. We sit to have our leash put on. Um, you know, we might down for our dinner, those types of things. So that's where I put my practice in. And those are very short stints. Um, but the teaching the concept is not going to happen in five minutes. I, I, let me correct that. It'll happen in five minutes. Mm-hmm. But it might take you two or three times longer, right? Because you're, the dog might just start to be making a connection. You're like, five minutes is up. We're moving on, you know, and they never had the chance to really pull it together. And so what they're trying to do is string these little, little tiny sessions over multiple days, you know, and ultimately multiple weeks when you're doing such short sessions before they finally make that connection. They say, oh, oh, okay, I get it now. What we did back here this is all the same thing, you know, so I will spend 15, 20 minutes if, with an older dog, you know, a grown dog, you can spend 30 minutes. Um, no problem. You know, puppies, yeah, puppies might be like five to 10 minutes because they just don't have the attention span. That's going to be individual dog based on how much they're willing to give you. Like my Irish setter puppy, he's been amazing. And I can do even when he was, you know, three months old, I was doing 15, 20 minute trick sessions with him you know, and he was giving me that time, but you, you learn and you say, Oh, you're done. Like we're done. Let's just end this now before we get any worse here, you know, and knowing when to finish with them. But teaching concepts, unfortunately, it's just not going to happen that fast unless you have the patience to spend um, multiple, like many more sessions with a dog over short, such short periods. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 15 to 20 minutes isn't all that bad either, right? So, right. Um, you know, you can you can do that while, you know, you send the kids into the shower and be like, okay, go get a shower. I'm going to work with the dog. And when I'm done working with the dog, you need to be getting down the shower. 
you know, so you can mix it into things that um, have the kids occupied elsewhere. You know, uh, my five-year-old loves to watch me train the puppy, <laughs> which can be annoying because he likes to make a lot of noises. He doesn't sit so well, right? So he likes to make a lot of noises and he fidgets around a lot. And I'm always like, Shh, you have to be quiet because you're going to distract the puppy. And that sometimes stretches our session out a little too long. Um, so, you know, it's easiest for me when I'm like, oh, why don't you go visit grandma? Or, you know, go show daddy this thing that you learned earlier <laughs> uh-huh. to send him on his way and give me that time, you know, to work with the puppy for, you know, the, the amount of time I need. And when I see th- things connect, we'll stop the session. I'm like, okay, he gets where I'm going with this. And then a lot of times the next day he's, he's on it. Like, you know, he's like, oh, I remember this from the day before. And they kind of had that rest period, which really helped. Yeah. They've slept on it. It's like sealed mm-hmm. in their little brain. It my is. kids are also like one of my dog's highest distractions. <laughs> Sometimes it's useful because I want that distraction so he can practice, you know, focusing on his work. And other times it's like the worst thing and he can't think about anything else. I remember once we were I, the kids wanted to go somewhere and I needed to train. So we went to Hobby Lobby where you can take dogs. Take inside. Dog, yes, yeah. And when we got there, he was just like looking for the kids. So I, I sent them inside and we worked outside till his brain got back, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> back yep. together with his, the rest of him. And then we finally went inside to do work because they're just such high value things for him. He just loves them and wants to be everywhere they're at. <laughs> well, and especially if, if their favorite thing to do with him is play. Mm-hmm. Right. So he sees them as his playmates, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, they're here. I got to go play. And it's like, no, no, it's not always play. And that's where it would be helpful to have them do a little bit of work with him, even if it's just so that way he says, oh, we don't always play with you. I love to play with you, but sometimes we have to do some work with you, too, you know, and that might yeah. help. That might help with some of that. That's a good idea. Bring them down a notch. I'm like Mm -hmm. the lowest value. I walk in the house. He's like looking behind me. Who else is here? (laughs) And my daughter's (laughs) behind it. It's like the kids and my husband. And then way down there, the person who makes them do stuff. (laughs) Right. Right. Every now and then, I don't think it's that common, but every now and then I see people like, I'm getting this dog for my six-year-old. He's been begging for so long that he needs a dog. And so this is going to be a surprise. So what do you think about this idea of buying a dog for a child? (laughs) So I think the first thing I would ask is how much do you want a dog, right? Because we all need to have expectations here. A six-year-old is not going to take care of a dog by themselves. A 10-year-old is not going to take care of a dog by themselves, right? They're going to need you to remind it, take the dog outside, make sure you feed the dog, you know, all of those things. Um, They just don't have that level of responsibility yet. So. I have no issues. Um, one of my pit bulls, Groot, I bred him. He was a singleton and he belongs to my nine-year-old. I take care of him. I do all this training and I'm taking him to Ohio to compete this weekend. <laughs> you know, so um, it, it comes down to, yes, he's your dog. And when you go with me to competitions, you'll be the one competing with him, not me. But let's face it, you don't do any of the work, you know. Like I would, I would be, I would consider more getting like something for my five-year-old because he does enjoy doing the work, but again, he's five. So mm-hmm. there's only so much he can do. Like if I'm going to get him his own dog, I need to take size into account. He's my five-year-old small, 
you know, so he only weighs, I don't know, maybe 50 pounds by now. The Irish setter at six months old outweighs him. So, you know, so it's like, okay, I'm getting something for my child. Is it something my child can handle? Is it something that's going to barrel him over when he wants to play because the puppy's going to rough house because that's what puppies do? You know, is it something that is going to have a long life, right? You, we buy a larger breed, we have a shorter lifespan. So you might say, okay, I want something for my six-year-old now, but I'm going to get a massive. Okay, well, you might get eight years, right? Ideally. Right. So that massive isn't even going to make it out of high school with your child. So those are all things to think about. Um, you know, maintenance. Um, some dogs slobber a lot, right? Um, doodles need haircuts, you know, and brushing. Are these all things that, you know, you, your child isn't begging for a puppy? Are you willing to sit down with them and say, here is how we brush your dog? You know, um, if we need to trim the, the hair from around the eyes so the dog can see, you know, as the kid gets older, obviously we're not going to hand, you know, a pair of shears to <laughs> our child and say cut around the eyes, <laughs> you know, but is it, can they sit there and watch you? And this is how we do this. And this is why we do this, you know? So if you want to get a puppy for your child, you need to be really involved and realize this is going to be your dog too. Um, you're going to be doing the majority of the maintenance and you need to be willing to teach your child about what that dog's requirements are because dogs aren't just play toys, right? There's a lot more that goes along with them. And maybe you'll find a cool sport that your kid's really into, you know, and that the dog enjoys doing too, and that they can actually go out and do some competition or something like that together. I love watching my kids compete with the dogs, even though I, you know, I'm always put the What do they in. compete in? What? Mostly weight pool. We do canine okay. weight pool. Um, that's our primary sport, but my nine-year-old also competes with rally, you know, and he enjoys that. Um, I'm trying to get him into obedience. We'll see. That's a tough <laughs> sport. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I see my five-year-old once he's reading, I see him doing rally. He also loves weight pool, you know, so he'll, he'll compete with our dogs with weight pool. Um, we're going to teach the Irish setter, hopefully how to hunt. And the nine-year-old is very excited to get out and, work with a you know a bird dog so we do all kinds of stuff I mean I've all my dogs have agility titles and you know um, I'm a big fan of having a very versatile dog you know mm -hmm. even if it's something we don't do a lot of or um, you know they only have like low level titles but at least my dog has learned something new I put um, the Irish setter now has his championship dog title with do more with your dog oh cool. you know and he's six months old so you know it's just it's is teaching the dogs to um, learn in new ways and constantly engaging their minds. Tricks are fun. You know, we had the Irish setter out the other day and then my five-year-old's like, oh, show them this trick and show them that he knows this trick, you know? They're <laughs> all fun things for the kids to do. Tricks are so much fun for kids to do. Yeah, oh, it's so much how easier. Oh, and high five mm -hmm. and, you know, and then they can go and show off to their friends. But, um, you know, I can't hand that dog over to my five-year-old to walk because he's way too big already. You know, so if I was going to get my young child a dog, I would probably get something more like a Jack Russell or, you know, just something more size appropriate, um, a smaller doodle. Yeah, ultimately, parents need to remember that if they're buying their their child a dog, they're really buying themselves a dog that, and they're buying themselves a teaching job, <laughs> all yeah. of those things together, right? Like they're buying a dog for themselves. That's going to be in name their child's dog. 
but only in name, really, unless they want to get involved in some way in dog sports. It's just the family pet. Yeah, that's, I think, the biggest thing. Because it happens often where someone will get a dog for a child and then be like, look, they're not even feeding it. They don't want to do anything. And well, of course, because they're kids and they don't love chores. Right. Go get them a goldfish. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're going to survive a few more years till they're older. If you don't want another. It's no different than buying a dog for a dog. That's also like, oh, my dog is so lonely. I'm going to get him a friend. And then, well, you, you have to want that friend. Your dog right? might not even like the visitor. Before we get into questions from our audience, I wanted to ask a couple more. What are some common mistakes that you see parents make? And some dangers and liabilities to consider when when bringing in a dog when you have kids. Um, so common mistakes are not doing their research, right? So not understanding what they're bringing into the home. So um, I mentioned earlier, I do some grooming. And two of the puppies I groom are doodles. They're um, great Pyrenees crosses with poodle. And the, you know, first thing I said to the owner, who's a friend of mine, you know, and the second he's like, yeah, we got two puppies. I'm like, you need to start grooming those puppies. And he's like, oh, well, the yard's all muddy right now. They get in the service all the time. I'm like, that's not grooming. <laughs> you guys are going to grow some hair. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, I said, you need to start introducing them to things like clippers and, you know, shears and just standing still and being patient and having their whole body touch, you know. And he was like, oh, it was something he had not thought about, you know, and then along with that is the associated cost, right? Mm-hmm. So unless you're going to groom yourself, you're paying a groomer. And um, I think, you know, the average price is probably around $100 for, you know, depending on your location, of course, um, for a full-size doodle or poodle type dog. Um, and that too, if they're heavily matted, that price is probably going to go up. If they have any other extra needs that, you know, that owner wants or special styles or anything like that, that price is going to go up. So a lot of people I find they get dogs. um, And and a lot of times I would say the family dog for the first time is that they don't put the effort into understanding what they're getting and what its requirements are. So, you know, does it have grooming requirements? Does it have training requirements? Does it have activity level requirements? Right. So um, my neighbors just got their very first dog a couple of months ago. It's a golden retriever. And we had talked back and forth many times about them getting a dog. You know, and they initially wanted a cattle dog. Well, they have five kids. So it's probably not the best fit, one of which is scared of dogs. Um, you know, and then they talked about a border collie. And I said, You realize how much energy border collies have? Like, are you ready for that? You know, so. Those are the things it's, you know, understanding the breeds that went into what you have, if you have a mixed breed or a purebred and what their requirements are to make sure that they're a happy dog and that they're going to get along well in your family. You know, there are a lot of dogs that aren't content to sit on the couch. Right. You know, there's some that are great. And if that's what you want, then find those breeds. But if you end up with something that has higher energy levels, you know, do you want to take it hiking? Do you um, have a neighborhood that you can take a walk around? We have a farm. So my dogs get run of a farm. Um, They don't really go on walks per se. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. we'll walk the neighbor's farm and let them run through the fields there. You know, and that's how we blow some energy because pit bulls are a higher energy breed dog, not as high as some. They have a really great off switch. 
Um, understanding whether or not your dog has an off switch, right? Can they go outside and be active and chase a ball and do all the fun things you want to do with a dog, like that you picture in your head as, you know, that backyard best buddy, but can they come then come inside and just be like, okay, we're inside, we're chill, this is good. Or are they going to continue to want to play hard indoors as well as outdoors? So having, I find the biggest mistake is just not understanding what they're getting before they get it. Um, another mistake is doing research into the breeder. You know, if you're going, most doodles, you don't usually see doodles in, in the pound, right? So you're going to a breeder to pick up mm-hmm. a doodle and talking and having a relationship with that breeder. Um, are they doing any kind of health testing? So how do you know that the dogs that, you know, the parents that created your puppy were healthy in the first place to know whether or not you're going to have a healthy puppy? You know, even if they're not shown, does the breeder talk to you about grooming requirements? I find a lot don't. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's because they feel it scares the people off or whatever the case might be. But, um, you know, are they willing to talk to you about any questions that you might have or are they beating around the bush? You know, so having a really good relationship with your breeder, because that's the person you're ultimately going to go back to, right? When you have issues, you're like, hey, my puppy's doing this. You know, what do I do? How do I fix that? Whatever the case might be. Hopefully you're going back to your breeder for that because you've built a relationship with them. Right. Um, so shopping around, so to speak, talking to multiple breeders, reaching out to other doodle owners, you know, and saying, hey, who'd you get your puppy from? Were you happy with your breeder? Is your puppy healthy? You know, is it everything you want it temperament wise? What did the coat come out as? You know, these great, these little great Pyrenees poodle crosses are, they are going to have some very, very thick coats because they're both double coated. You know, so, you know, is that going to work well with your family? There's going to be hair everywhere when you have a double-coated dog. Yeah. And meet the parents. For some reason, amongst doodle breeders, more and more don't allow visitations or to come by their kennel or to meet the parents. And it was like that before COVID and COVID just like sealed the deal. (laughs) And that's just not the case with a lot of pure breed breeders. They will let people come. My poodle breeder is also a groomer and she welcomes anyone who wants to meet her dogs. And I think that's such an important sign of um, transparency and being open and like having nothing to hide. Um, And that's, that's hard. There are some doodle breeders that will allow that. And I keep encouraging people to expect that, expect that from your breeder and get to, because doodle now means anything mixed with poodle, really research the doodle parent breeds. Don't research on a doodle website, research Pyrenees, research Bernese, research um, sheep dogs, <laughs> research poodles, right. and research them on the poodle clubs. You could Google sheep dog club of America and find the club that supports this breed and read all about the health issues and the recommended health testing. And then if you're going to get a doodle that's mixed with a sheep dog, you better like sheep dogs and you better like standard poodles and you better know the health testing they each need so that you can make sure that breeder is using health tests that cover both. Right. And you can, you can expect a temperament then, right? So we know what our poodle temperament should be and we know what, you know, that sheep dog temperament should be. Um, you know, and if it's a standard poodle versus say a miniature poodle, because the temperaments are different, yes. you know, standards can be more offstandish and some people don't want that. They want that cuddle bug, you know, and it's like, well, then maybe you want to go with something smaller that, you know, is more wants to be with people versus want to work, so to speak. Um, yeah, temperament's super important. And then have an expectation too, because you are getting a crossbred, 
that you might have the extreme. Right. You're not getting the best of both breeds guaranteed. You could get the worst. Right. <laughs> right. You know, so be planned for um, that dog that, you know, might be super standoffish. Like the poodle I have downstairs right now is only 10 months old and he's a potential bite risk because he's very standoffish. Typical for the breed, right? Lack of socialization due to COVID. So she hasn't been able to get him out. That's part of my job is to get him out and he's getting better. But he's squirrely when he meets new people. He darts mm. away from them. So he's still a potential bite risk. Um, and you, you might get, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know a lot of whole, all the other breeds. Like say you go with just a standard Labrador, right? Labradors are insane energy level sometimes. Like <laughs> yeah. insane, you know? And like, you know, so you might end up with this super high energy dog that's super standoffish. You know, and that you, you're like, what do I do with that? Like, he doesn't right. want to interact with me, but he's desperate for interaction. So, you know, just being prepared and understanding, like you said, both ends of the spectrum and what you might end up with. And with, with doodle, people who go to doodles are often first time dog owners and they're often young couples or couples with young kids and doodles have that look of a teddy bear, like, and you, you know, Instagram is full of doodles and you just mm-hmm. see them sitting looking cute. You don't see the energy part or potential energy. And so there people are drawn to them because of their appearance and they'll choose doodle mixes because of the patterns, right? Like an Aussie doodle has, a, can have adorable Merle cuteness. Yes. Um, but then the Australian shepherd is pretty high energy and a herding dog and can nip at your kids. But even if it's not that, even if it's like a labradoodle or a golden doodle and the two parents were nice, the fact is, is that they may look like a teddy bear. And this, I'm not saying this to you, but to our audience, they may look like a teddy bear, but you have to be really careful and still consider them a dog that has potential to do dog things and not like kids, even though traditionally both breeds are nice family dogs or can be. Mm -hmm. And so I want you to talk a little bit about that. Like when you bring a dog home, whether it's a puppy or an adult, what are some things that you teach your kids about interacting with the dog, regardless of whether it's like, oh, it's the sweetest thing, wouldn't hurt a fly or standoffish? Right. So there are always rules, right? I have rules for my children. I have rules for my dog. And the kids need to understand that there are rules for the dog. Like you said, they're dogs. We can't mm-hmm. expect them to act like humans. They aren't born into this world knowing what our rules are and our expectations are. We have to teach all that. So. Um, my five-year-old does not sit so well. <laughs> so he will sometimes just go kind of go crazy and be like, Aha! and run around. And, and sometimes he'll kind of rush the dog when he does that. Not meaning to be aggressive or anything like right. that. He just has so much energy. He doesn't know what to do with himself. And, you know, my number one rule is do not do that. Like, because if the dog, you know, wasn't raised with him and understands that that's just how he is, you know, it's very off-putting for a dog. You're like, whoa, whoa, you're getting a little crazy there. Um, we don't pull on ears and tails. Now, I personally make a habit that when I'm petting the dog, I kind of pull on the ears and the tails a little bit in a massaging manner, but it also acclimates the dog to, you know, those feelings, right? You're building tolerance for handling. Absolutely, because, you know, there's going to be the kid or even just the person on the street who comes up and pets your dog and, you know, touches ears or touches tails, and you want the dog to be okay with those things. Toddlers are going to pull ears and tails. I'm going to tell you, my Irish setter has got ears to his knees practically, <laughs> you know. Um, so 
it's it you look at that and same thing with doodles with all that hair it's so soft and so fluffy looking and the kid is just like oh you're like a stuffy you know <laughs> and they're just gonna want to reach and grab for that and and I think a lot of people with service dogs get poodles because of the texture of the hair you know it it helps ground them so the kid child understanding okay you can touch their ears you can touch their tail you can touch their feet I want you to do these things but you can't yank you know, um, working with young children and especially um, babies in it, you know, I would say like that one to two year old where they tend to touch things and then grab, right? Mm -hmm. So because they haven't learned that motor skill yet and they tend to grab all that hair or they grab all that skin, um, you know, just being very vigilant and watching for those things, knowing that your child's going to do that, right? So right. being ready to, to interfere- it. Mm -hmm. being ready to interfere and get in there and reopen that hand back up or guide the child and kind of hold their hand open a little bit while they pet that dog. Um, and also just teaching the dog that this is okay. You know, we're grabby. Our hands are grabby. Kids' hands are grabby. You know, we don't, I don't allow roughhouse within my home, like inside the home. Any roughhousing happens outside. And part of that is because um, I own a battle breed, right? So it's never a good idea to let them get all wild and crazy when we have walls containing us. And I have children in the mix. So everything inside, and this goes for me, for any dog, in my opinion, should always be quiet play, you know, where they're just sitting there chewing on a bone. Um, you know, if they're playing with the dogs or playing with each other, they're allowed to lay and play with each other, but they're not allowed to get up and wrestle. And I don't allow my children to wrestle with the dogs. Um, their interactions are, hey, let's go outside and throw a ball, you know, and then tell the dog to out, right? So now I'm adding some training, right? We out the dog and we pick the ball back up and we throw it again. So the kid's involved in that training aspect. So when we are inside, everything is calm and quiet because that's the, that's the temperament and the personality I want to show through in the dog. I don't ever want the dog to think we come inside and we rough house. And then if they're calm and quiet, my kids are more likely to be calm and quiet because what happens when the dogs get, start getting riled up is the kids start getting louder. And when children start getting louder, then the dogs get louder, right? And they start feeding off of each other. And then eventually something's going to happen. You know, um, knock on wood, it's never anything bad, but there's always the potential, right? That a dog turns on a child or a kid jumps on a dog because now they're like they're wrestling and we're we're all involved in this big old mess so those are all things I never allow everything is quiet play indoors if my children want to be involved in their quiet play they can bring them different bones and be like here trade out bones again it comes back to training so I'm removing the resource guarding aspect to the dog it's like ah, yeah I'm taking this bone but now we're giving you another one and it's coming from the child so it's it's a safe thing to do, but it's always supervised. My kids are not allowed to hang out in a room without an adult while the dogs are out, especially with multiple dogs. That's so important. Like dogs are not so babysitters important. and kids are not dog caregivers alone. <laughs> no. Uh, and, they, and a lot of times they don't know how to read the dog, right? right. So they, they don't get it. Um, most adults have a hard time reading dogs. Right. That's something that comes with time and understanding of your dog and working with your dog, you know, is to be the ability to read them and understand them. Um, I've had dogs in the past where my kids could lay down and put their head on the dog 
And I love that, you know, it's mm-hmm. the dog is like, yeah, that's cool. I'm good with that being a pillow. You know, I could do it to the dog, but I've also had dogs that were like, no, not interested, you know? Yeah. And so I just, when I see that dog start to look like things are getting a little too out of hand for me with these kids, I send the dog away. It's like, mm-hmm. it's okay. You don't have to be here. And then the dog learns it's allowed to walk away from the situation, you know? So I never force the dog to stay in a situation. It's not comfortable in either because that's just going to lead to bad things with children. Yeah. And if you're not sure, if you're a parent and you're kind of new to dogs and you're not sure how to read those signs, don't let that sort of pillow action happen and learn, learn a little bit more, find a trainer to help you learn dog signals before you let those kinds of things occur. Right. My preference is that I lay down on the couch and the dog comes up and curls behind my leg, right? Because then it's the dog's choice. The dog says, Oh, I want to, I want the interaction with you. I want to cuddle with you, but they're not in a compromised position where they feel like they're pinned down or it's just too much weight, right? We don't really, really realize how heavy we are for some dogs. I have Mm -hmm. a almost 12 year old pit bull now, and she's only 40 pounds, you know? So if my 50 pound child lays on her, you know, and and he's not just going to like rest his head, right? He would like drip himself because that's what kids do. So those are all things we need to keep in mind. Um, when we have kids in the home with our dogs and we're bringing dogs in is what do kids tend to do? Have you watched your child interact with other people's dogs? Um, Whether it be on the street or friends' dogs, like those are all things. Does my dog like, or does my kid like to hug dogs? Like Mm -hmm. I had my puppy at a playground the other day and there's a little girl there and she just loves dogs. She just kept going, hi dog, hi dog, hi dog. (laughs) You know, if my puppy, he's like, oh, it's a kid. You know, but it was my job to control my puppy because this girl is maybe two. So she mm-hmm. probably weighs like, I don't know, maybe 30 pounds, right? And my dog is 50. Yeah. <laughs> and he would just barrel her over if I let him, you know, but she very much just wanted, you could tell she just wanted to get in there and grab a hold of him and love on him in a way that he would not accept only because he's a puppy, you know, but that's my job is to control him and give him that respect and then be like, okay, he's done being pet. <laughs> you right, know, thank right. you I'm glad that you love him you know <laughs> but it's teaching those kids hey it's time to back off too you yeah. know not just for the dog but for the kid it's okay definitely you teach your kids to ask I've had some kids who try try asking in a park while I'm out training but they ask as they get closer can I pet your dog and then yes. my hand's like two inches away <laughs> yeah. like Absolutely. well that was good ask but Okay, well, let's. I want to kind of plow through the questions that people sent in. Um, So, first one is How do you teach dogs which toys are off limits to them? So, like a stuffy is a stuffy is a stuffy sometimes. How do do you teach dogs to leave the kids' stuff alone and stick to their own stuff? So, so that's a tough one. Um, I have power tours. So, a lot of my, um, a lot of our dog toys are hard bones, right? So we get, of course, the kids have stuffed animals. They love their stuffed animals and they're all over the place. And this is probably the hardest lesson. This is the hardest lesson with the puppy is understanding because he has soft toys. He's a soft mouth dog. And while he has bones too, you know, he's going to be like, this is mine. This is mine. So what I do is I just do an exchange. You know, they, my kids first, I, I'm pretty adamant and I try my best to get my kids to pick their stuff up. Right. So mm-hmm. that's the safest thing we can do is hey, if you don't want your favorite stuffed animal chewed on, don't leave it on the floor, right? 
after that, it, the dog picks something up and I, I catch that. I'll go grab something of the dog. And I, I, you know, I encourage them to come over through play. I don't holler at the dog. I just like, Hey, come here, come check this out. You know, most times they're like, Oh yay, I want to come to you. Yeah. You know, cause you're playing with them. And then I'll just hold that. I'll grab a hold of that stuffed animal. You know, I might even play with it a little bit just because I don't want them to feel like when I reach in to take something, I'm taking it. Right. Because uh-huh. then you get what I like to refer to as mission evasive and they start to duck away from you every time you reach for them. And so, you know, I'll reach in the, my puppy loves to pick up clothes, like socks and shirts uh-huh. and stuff, you know, and I'll reach in, I'll just do like a really light game of tug so that he's not thinking I'm just taking stuff away. And then I'll be like, okay, out. And then I'll exchange it for his toy. Um, I find that's the easiest way. And then eventually they start to differentiate, right? And I can just, when they start to look at something and they're like, I'm not sure about that, or especially like a new toy, right? Because it doesn't already have the kid's smell on it. Um, and it's laying on the floor and they'll go over to start checking it out like dogs do. And I'll just give a quick act and they're just like, oh, okay, that one's not mine. And then they'll walk away and they'll find something of theirs. Um, if you, if it's a first time puppy and you have a friend with a dog, take your toys to that dog and let the dog play with them so that their slobber is on it, right? Because then the dog's going to smell that and be like, oh, this is something we play with. And I find that this works really well. Um, when I bring boarders in who don't really know how to be dogs, you know, so they don't want to chew on things. And so I might give them a bone. And a lot of times when I get um, a new a training dog in, I'll go out and buy a couple of bones and things like that for that dog. And a lot of times with a new thing, they're just like, ah, I don't know what to do with that. So I'll hand them one that's been well chewed on. And then it's like, oh, we chew on these things and they'll start chewing on them. So if it's a brand new puppy and you don't have any other dog, take your new dog's toys to get slobbered on a little bit by a friend's dog and then bring them back. And so the dog can start to say, oh, if it smells like dog slime, it's mine. If it smells like kid, it's theirs. And it gives them something to help differentiate the difference between their stuffies and the child's stuffies mm-hmm. with a distinct smell. I, yeah, I found that to be true for sure. When I, I had two young adult dogs and a senior when I had my first child and I was really worried about like this their stuffies getting you know like we had stuffies before the baby arrived and I remember taking the dogs inside and just like showing them like leave it leave it for all the kids stuff um but yeah I think that smell makes a big difference because when my youngest puppy right now was a puppy he couldn't tell the difference and he loved to sneak into the kids room because they would not close their door and find a stuffy and bring it out but I think Mm -hmm. over time he started to really differentiate that these are just not for him they're not right they belong to the kids and when just recently my son got this little stuffy with like a magnet I don't know I think they're the latest craze or something like a little magnet that goes under his shirt so the little stuffy sits on his shoulder and I just showed it to Milo and was like, leave it, <laughs> leave it and in different situations. And now he's just like, yeah, that's not mine. Right. Yes. Yes. And that's probably harder with little tiny things like Legos. And those just have to be probably put away as best as yes. possible. It's a training opportunity for your children to clean up. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you snooze, you lose. Um, okay. So the next question is, And I love this one. What's the best way to walk your dog and push a stroller simultaneously? Or maybe while the kids are doing cartwheels or bouncing while you're trying to walk. (laughs) And I have my answer as a non-trainer, but I'd love to hear yours. (laughs) 
So teach your dog to heal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You've got to train the dog first. Otherwise there's, yeah, you're just. And this is like, you know, you want to take the dog even to, um, like you said, Hobby Lobby, right? And because you're allowed to take your dog there or even Joanne's allowed now too. Um, and you've got a shopping cart. Well, you need to be able to push that shopping cart and walk the dog. So, you know, so even if you're not doing the stroller per se, you're still going to always have things to have to deal with with the dog. So teaching a dog to heal is one of the best things. Like to me, heal and stay are probably my two favorite commands. And, you know, so when they already know how to walk nice, adding that extra thing in front of them, well, it might startle them at first because it's different and they can't see past it. And you're going to see them like try to creep in front of it or, or lean out to the side and be like, oh, what's up there? Because they can't really see past it. They eventually get used to it, you know, and they'll just do their thing. But if your dog is one of those dogs that likes to like veer off in front of you and cross sides all the time, obviously it's not going to work because mm-hmm. you're going to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, teaching your dog to heal like is the best thing. And then giving them the opportunity to have breaks, right? So one of the reasons we like to walk dogs is not only for exercise, but for enrichment. They get to get out and get to have, you know, smell different things that they wouldn't smell just in their backyard. So, you know, so you stroll the toddler down to the corner where the bus drops off your other kids. So you heal to that point and then you give your dog a little break. You know, you put the lock on the stroller and tell your dog all done and let them stick around a little bit. So that way it's not all work when we go out for these walks. You know, so they will get some sort of benefit and they'll figure that out. And they'll be like, yeah, it'll come. I know when we get to this spot, I'll get to smell around and do my thing. And there's probably a light pole there because it's a corner and, you know, a million other dogs have peed on it. So I'll get to smell that, you know, so they're, they won't be as pushy because it's not constant work, you know, yeah. but heal, just teach your dog to heal. Having that nice loose leash walk will save you so much headache. Yeah. Okay. Next question. I'm going to lump two together because I think the answer is probably similar mm-hmm. and I, we should probably should have talked about it when we had more time earlier, but anyway, dogs, humping children or nipping children, both doing things to children they shouldn't be doing. What's the simple response? <laughs> don't allow it. Um, it's a simple how, so, the, so the answer would be like, how do I not allow it? It just happens. So if your dog is jumping right and jumping and then therefore humping on people while doing that don't allow the dog to jump right so teach the dog to sit when it's pet you know if it's like if a kid's crawling around on the floor right and the dog goes over to hump the child there a you shouldn't have the child by itself anyway right so you should be watching what's going on and and by that point because it's becoming a regular thing that's becoming an issue you should be recognizing what the dog is thinking Right. And the second you said, dog, look at that child crawling across the floor. And you're like, oh, I know what he's going to go do. Just stop him right away before he even gets the opportunity to do it. Uh, a dog that gets, like, say, boisterous at the door, right? And it's jumping and being crazy. If they can't handle a fit while those people come in, teach them place. And that place could be in a crate. And in the beginning, it might need to be behind a closed door with a crate, you know, until the dog understands that I have to stay here. Um, all my dogs know place with a hammock bed. And I think it's one of the best things ever teaching them just to go somewhere and settle there until I tell them they can, you know, get up and do things. So you're saying there's not a magic way to like zap or wave a wand that'll stop this behavior forever. You have to train the dog. 
yeah, to train the dog. <laughs> you know, and I know people would be like, oh, use a spray bottle or, yeah. you know, shake a can, those right. types of Pet things. corrector. Right. But ultimately, like, if you don't have that on you, your dog knows, mm-hmm. right? Your dog figures that stuff out. They're not dumb. They're all insanely smart. You know, even the ones that you think aren't the brightest, they're probably really smart and they've just figured you out. So, you know, they know when you don't have that spray bottle handy or they know when that can of pennies isn't sitting around um, or they become scared of it, right? And that's the last thing you want your dog to do because you're cleaning and you got a spray bottle. You don't need your dog cowering in some mm-hmm. corner because you have a spray bottle because you're cleaning the windows, you know? So you don't, I don't like to use those types of um, adversives to stop my dog. You know, I find leash and collar management works wonders. Yes, I think that's the key is that, when you say don't do it, like you can have a leash and collar in your dog. And if that leash is six feet, make sure you're seven feet away from the child that it wants to nip. And then magically right. they can't nip that child because you're holding the leash. Right. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, keeping a leash on your dog in the house until they learn more appropriate behavior, you know, right. so it could just be like, you know, for that dog that nips, find out why he's nipping. Right. So is he, is he nipping because the child is playing with him, right? So he's playing back and that's how he thinks he plays. Um, is he nipping because the child has something in his hand that the dog wants? You know, so, so you need to kind of identify the reason behind it first. And then from there, you make those corrections, right? So if, it's, if he's nipping because the child is playing, well, don't allow the child to play like that, right? That should automatically fix your problem. If he's nipping because he's stealing something from the child, and nipping in the process, well, okay, so now food sits at the table or, um, or at a tray table if you eat on the couch or something like that, or put the dog into a place while a child eats. So that way mm-hmm. the dog isn't anywhere near the child and the dog has a job to do because he's on place. You know, it's not necessarily a stay, but it's still a task that they have to focus on. So redirect the dog into focusing on a different type of task and have them actually, you know, do something instead of just being a dog. Yeah. I th- and that leads into the final question I was going to ask. Someone said that their single mom and their seven month old puppy is constantly stealing her grade schoolers food off the table. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that is management too, right? Like you said, place, put your dog in place, create the dog while people are eating, right. tie the leash to a couch, you know, leg just a few feet away. So the dog is contained and can't practice that behavior. And I always compare it to like having a two-year-old and you have your two-year-old and you're about to go into the store that has a lot of breakables. Letting the child just go in and saying, and hoping it doesn't break anything is kind of like just letting your dog be free in the house to do whatever. And like, how do I stop it? How do I stop this child from reaching for that glass thing? Well, you hold the child's hand or you carry the child or you wear the child, or you put the child in the stroller, you do something yep. to manage them until with time and training, you can teach the child to keep their hands off of objects. And it's the same with a dog. You have to contain or leash or keep them out of the area because there's no magic way to like, don't steal food, don't counter surf, don't jump. Like, right. It has to be trained or controlled in the meantime. Correct. Yes. And, and great if you want your dog involved, right? So, you know, you can even put like an eye, you know, a screw eye into the wall with a little three foot, you know, tie out and okay. So attach your dog there when you, everybody eats at dinner and event and put a nice mat or a bed or 
a hammock or something, right? And that can be a place. And you can have multiple places around the house. But it's like, fine, everybody sits down to eat. The dog goes there. He gets attached in the beginning so that you're not constantly having to get up and correct the dog for getting off of the spot. And eventually, the dog says, oh, it's dinner time. And he goes and lays down. Give him a special bone, you know, like, or a Kong, so a peanut butter or something for him to do mm-hmm. while he's sitting there instead of just salivating watching you eat, you know? Right. <laughs> You know, but make that a, a spot for him. It's like, oh, it's dinner time. You get your special, your special treat here. You know, that's yeah. the only time they would get something like that. Um, yeah, place is another. I would say, okay, so he'll he'll stay in place. Are probably my three favorite commands. Place fixes so many behavior issues. Mm-hmm. It fixes barking at doors. Um, it fixes jumping up on people. It fixes food stealing. Just you can use it for so. It fixes just that fidgety dog who just is having a hard time settling down. Okay, go to place, you know, and now you've got something to focus on. They're forced to relax. Right. Yeah. Place is is such a great, great command. And it's so easy to teach. So easy to teach. Yeah. So to summarize, as far as kid and dog interactions, train your dog. And that takes a while. So it's not going to be done right away. So in the meantime, manage with a leash, practicing place, control the dog so that it can't do those things you don't want it to do. Teach kids how to behave around the dog and control those interactions, like be there with eyeballs on what's happening and ready mm-hmm. to intervene. Would that summarize pretty much what we've gone over? Absolutely. Um, just, you know, taking the time and, and having those daily interactions with your dog in a positive manner, mm-hmm. you know, knowing what your expectations are and teaching the dog those expectations. And everybody's just going to be so much happier for it. And that includes guests. You know, yeah. how many times do we go to people's homes and we're like, oh, I got to deal with your dog, you know? <laughs> Slobber on me and paws and purr. <laughs> yeah. I have friends that, you know, you walk in the house and they hand you a rag because their dog is a slobber <laughs> machine and they don't, you know, there's no personal space. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's just like, well, here's your rag. don't wear nice clothes when you visit them you know so I love having people come over and they're like man like your dogs are just so good you know they they enjoy coming over and they enjoy interacting with my dogs because Mm -hmm. they're not not cases yeah you know and people want that like who wants who doesn't want their grandparents to visit their grandchildren because they can't stand (laughs) the dog you know or you see is complain a lot in um, Facebook groups is hey, I have company coming over and they ask me to put the dog away. Well, maybe if you spend a little more time training the dog, they wouldn't ask you to put the dog away because the dog wouldn't be obnoxious, right? So it's just like having another kid. Like nobody wants to be obnoxious kid when you go to the store, right? So (laughs) you're always like, please behave yourself. Yeah, It's the same, you know? Yeah, you have to expect that any dog you bring home is gonna need training. And I think a lot of people think, Training is for when there's bad behaviors, like if my dog is aggressive or resource guards or, you know, chases the bunnies that we have. And if you wait till there's really big problems, you've missed a huge opportunity to just have a really easy to live with dog because you trained it like that just comes with dogs. They need training because they're not humans living in a human household. They're canines. So, yeah. So it's a perception. I think we need to not say training fixes problems. We need to say training prevents problems. Yes, absolutely. Yes. We're doing prevention by teaching our dogs early. Well, Rachel, it was great to have you here and thank you. be able to share your wisdom with others. Do you have a website or like 
a way for people to contact you if they're in Maryland and they want help? <laughs> um, I, I am word of mouth only, so, okay. which is a great thing. I'm always busy, but I do plan on putting a Facebook page together. So I'll send that to you once I do that. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast. If you have any ideas for future episodes or recommendations on topics or guests, send me an email at admin at doodlekisses.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at doodlekisses.com. Also, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. So you can have every episode ready to listen to as soon as it comes out. The show notes will link you to our GoFundMe page, as well as links to some of the things we discussed in today's episode. Talk to you next time on the next episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast.